Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, December the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And of course, on Mondays, we kind of look at a lesson for the following Sunday, which just so happens to be the third Sunday in Advent, December the 12th, 2021. The three lessons are from Zephaniah, Philippians, and Luke. Zephaniah. How many times do we read from the book of Zephaniah? In fact, do you know how to find it? It's between, near the end of the Old Testament, Habakkuk and Haggai. Who was Zephaniah? Zephaniah was a prophet who lived at the same time as Jeremiah. The book was written between 640 and 609 B.C. And he really talks a lot about God's judgment against sin, but he also has a tremendous passage, which we'll be looking at, from Zephaniah 3, verse 14 and following, about God's love and what a difference it makes. So without further ado, let's take a look at Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Now, why do you think this is an Advent saying? Zephaniah is writing about the great joy that believers have in Jesus Christ. Because the daughter of Zion, Israel, the daughter of Jerusalem, the holy city on Mount Zion, they're to sing aloud. That is, there's a choir. And where would this choir be? It would be, first of all, on earth, but it also is in heaven. Why are we singing with great joy? Verse 15 is probably the most important verse. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. A lot of people don't think that the Old Testament really talks much about the work of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins. But here is a passage where what is the judgment that is against us? It's the judgment of that we are sinners. And the Lord has taken away these judgments. How did he do that? Well, that's what the whole Bible is about. It's about the judgments that come against you because of sin, and therefore you should be sent to everlasting damnation. But God has taken away that judgment. How did he do that? Well, that's what a lot of the Bible is about. 
that Jesus came and upon dying on a cross, he paid the price of our sin. He was our substitute. In place of us, he died so that we will never really die because even as a person dies who is a Christian, immediately their spirit is with Jesus in heaven. So they continue to live in the spirit until the day of judgment when their bodies will be restored. So there's just no way that you can get any idea that you take away the judgment. That would be a teaching of the law, which would be wrong. Namely, that you have done something, you've changed your attitude, you've increased your good works, and therefore God looks at you and takes away the judgment. No, he's not looking at you to take away the judgment. He's looking at Jesus who died on the cross for your sin. And it's not only the judgment that is taken away, he is also, according to verse 15, cleared away your enemies. Now, how did he do that? The very next line, the king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Now, the king of Israel, namely the Lord, is referring to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. We find Jesus not only in the New Testament, but throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we find him in the very first verses of Genesis. He's the one that created light. He's the word of God. And according to John chapter 1, there was nothing created that was not created by the word of God. And that word, according to verse 14 of John 1, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the king of Israel who is in our midst. And that's why you will never again need to fear evil because there is no evil that can do anything to you. God takes care of that evil. He takes care of it by minimizing its attack against you so that, for example, you will never be tempted beyond what you are able to endure. And even with the temptation, there will be a way of escape. So this is a wonderful passage from the Old Testament referring to Jesus, the King of Israel, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and you will never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak, so that we have no need to fear about anything even in this world, even when Christians are sacrificed and put to death because of their Christianity, you still need not fear that God will not work it out 
to bring you to heaven. So Zephaniah has a wonderful passage here about no longer needing to fear. Fear of your sins, fear of your enemies, and also a fear that you might have of God because he could send everyone to damnation because of their sin. But he is a God who is merciful. That is, you don't get what you deserve. And he is gracious in giving you what you don't deserve, namely the forgiveness of sins. Verse 17, the Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you, now listen to this next part, with loud singing. Now, how many times can you remember a passage in the Bible that couples our singing of joy with God singing to us? That's exactly what we will be receiving, the wonderful gift of the forgiveness of of sins. And that gift is something that we need not fear. It's something that God will give us. So, on that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, it shall be said to Zion, your Lord, your God is in your midst. He will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Verse 18, we're in Zephaniah chapter 3, and we get to verse 18. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. In other words, the festival of joy at times is interrupted by our sufferings. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, anyone who confesses him as Lord and Savior, guess what? God will deal with your oppressors. And though you mourn that everything is not happening in the festival, there's no doubt that God will not suffer reproach. And that reproach is a good teaching. Behold, verse 19, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors. Now, oppressors also take place not only in our sins, but in things that happen to us in a fallen world. Prior to the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, guess what? There were no hurricanes. There were no tornadoes. There was nothing to be worried about. But God, because of our sin, 
now comes to deal with us. And one of the items that is talked about that oppresses us, I will save the lame and gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about really the gospel for today or for this Sunday, namely the third Sunday in Advent from Luke chapter 7. John the baptizer has sent his disciples to Jesus and they're asking him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And that's what they say to Jesus. Now, they're doing that at a time when he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and many who were blind. He bestowed sight. So Jesus answers them. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So this passage about those people being healed is not only in other parts of the Old Testament, but we read them right here in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 19. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and change their shame into praise. For Thanksgiving... A lot of times, the passage read is the healing of the ten lepers. And one of them returns to give Jesus thanks. And he is a Samaritan. So what we find here is a wonderful gift of thanksgiving and rejoicing that Zephaniah is talking about, that their shame will be changed into praise, praising Jesus for what they have done. Because lepers, they lived in shame in the sense that nobody was supposed to approach them. Also, they were not permitted to worship in the temple because they were categorized with others who had serious bodily misfunctions like being lame or blind and so forth. And that was, from the point of view of the religion of that day, that that was a punishment from God. When Jesus healed these people, that was terrible because he was interrupting what God was doing against them. And therefore, he obviously could not be the Savior because he was not following God's command that these people should be punished for their sin. The Pharisees thought that they had saved themselves, bragged about 
not being like the tax collectors who were Jews hired by the Romans to collect taxes for the Romans. And many a time they would collect far more than they had to in order to deepen their pockets with their own money. And you'll remember John the baptizer in talking to them, the tax collectors say, what shall we do? And he said, do not collect more than you are required to collect. This is God's way of bringing us into an understanding of what his will is for us. So your shame about your sin has gone away because Jesus has paid the price for your shame. And therefore, we praise him in a choir. And what we need to remember is God is also singing with us. He will quiet you by his love. And the end of verse 17, he will exalt over you with loud singing. And I'm sure that also includes the singing of the angels, for they were singing to the shepherds at Advent when they proclaimed the birth of Jesus Christ. Shepherds went to see him and then proclaimed that message to all who would listen to him. Going on verse, with verse 20, we're in Zephaniah chapter 3. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together. This is so important. Christianity is the reverse of every other religion in the world. Because in every other religion, you save yourself by being obedient to the rules that that, command, that that religion sets up, commandments or ceremonial laws, etc. But in Christianity, there are no laws that you're able to keep perfectly. That's the difference between law and gospel. It's ridiculous to teach people the law for the purpose of getting them saved because no one is able to obey the law 100%. We all fall short of the glory of God. That sentence alone tells us that therefore nobody can be saved, but God saves us. This is so important. Who's running the verbs? Who is the subject of the one for whom we are being saved? Verse 20 is clear. At that time, I will bring you in. Reminds us of one of Jesus' favorite parables, the lost sheep. He goes and finds the lost sheep. The lost sheep doesn't find Jesus. And when he finds the lost sheep, he puts it on his shoulders and carries him in to the home from which the lost sheep had left. 
So the lost sheep isn't about us doing evangelism. It's really about how we were justified by grace through faith on account of Jesus Christ. Whoever thought that an Old Testament passage, especially from a book rarely looked at, Zephaniah, would be talking about this wonderful good news. And that is verse 20. I will gather you together. I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. Now, when is this going to occur? Well, the end of verse 20 explains it. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. What is he talking about? Where did we lose our fortunes? We lost them because of our sin, inherited from Adam and Eve, and therefore we're born in a sinful condition, and God brings us back into his eternal salvation by restoring our fortunes. If you take a look at Revelation, you'll find that in heaven, there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering. suffering. And part of the reason is because we're going to be singing with God. There's no doubt that God is singing without, with us. And what are we all singing about? We're singing about that God has taken away our sins and all our enemies. That's what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. He has taken away our sins, saved us from our enemies. So we sing with Israel. Who is Israel? Taking a look at Romans 9 to 11, we find that Israel is a holy Christian church. That's the new Israel. That means Israel are believers. And not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. That's why Zephaniah is saying there's going to be a wonderful choir. And there's more because the Lord himself is singing loudly about how he is loving and blessing us. There's no doubt that the choir of the angels with which we will be affiliated will be with Jesus. That's what his death on the cross does. He takes away our sins and he brings us into perfect harmony with God. In other words, it's no accident that when heaven is described in the book of Revelation, it has many of the characteristics of the Garden of Eden from which Adam and Eve fell in sin. That's what God is going to do for us. And in Luke chapter 7, which is the gospel for the day, that's what Jesus tells the disciples of John the Baptizer. 
You want to know who I truly am? Well, take a look at the Old Testament and you'll see the fulfillment of the promises from me about the deaf hearing, the blind seeing, the mute speaking, the lame walking, the dead being raised. I am definitely the one about whom the Old Testament refers, that he will come and take away our sins. And much of the Bible is about that. Isaiah talks about, by his stripes, we are healed. David sings in Psalm 22 that he will be pierced in hands and feet. That's the cross. That's what Jesus willingly experienced. Nobody forced him to go to the cross. The Holy Trinity made that decision prior to the creation of man, creation of the world. And therefore, Jesus obeyed the Father's will and died so that you and I will never really die because at the moment of our death in the spirit, we are with Jesus. And therefore, we look forward to that time when God will restore us to the Garden of Eden. Our bodies will be perfect. There will be nobody who is lame or blind or mute or deaf because God will bring us back into a right relationship with him. And all this is talked about in Zephaniah chapter 3, 14 to 20, with the most important verse being verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll be taking a look at one of the hymns for Advent, Hark! A thrilling voice is sounding. We encourage you to listen. And as indicated, we're a few thousand dollars short of our needed budget. So please listen to the following as to how to send a check to Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132 made out to law and gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your checkout to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.